Welcome to Next Steps, a podcast from Black Hawk Church in Madison, Wisconsin, where together we'll take next steps to grow in our relationship with Christ, to be formed into the kind of people he's created us to be, and to better love and serve those around us. Let's jump in. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are here for our last episode in this series of the Next Steps podcast, and I'm one of your hosts. I'm Veronica, and I'm here with Michael. Hello, everyone. Glad to be here. And we have a special guest today. So we told you guys we were going to have Charles Yu with us today to do some question and response. So, hey, Charles, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Veronica. Thanks for having me. I should say welcome back. You've been on the podcast before. I've been before. on the podcast, but not with you guys. That's true. Not with us. Get so, ready. This is kind of different. I'm Get a little ready. nervous about this. <laughs> I would be too. You should yeah, be. Because <laughs> uh, Michael, look, he's looking at me like he's about to like, you know, like about to, here's a fresh meat. He's going to come after me. It's going to be interesting. I'm we'll a little nervous. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. teaching team inside oh boy. conversation coming out now. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. Look out. Well, we're so excited for this conversation. And like Veronica was saying, it's our last one for the series. And um, we have a lot of different questions. But to ask you, Charles, but first, last week, our listeners uh, heard Veronica and I start out the episode by sharing different things that we do that can be done multiple different ways, but we insist there's really only one way to do it. Uh, For those of you listening right now who didn't hear that uh, podcast, it was a great podcast. It led into our conversation on the exclusive claims of Jesus, (laughs) um, which we thought was fun. I had... About 10 things that I rattled off that were, were, I think, the way how to do, but I've heard from feedback that it's weird. <laughs> and we just want to tell listeners right now, we've spent probably a good 30 minutes. Yeah, at least. Just now trying to find something that Charles Yu does that he insists is the right way and it can be done multiple ways. But we have learned that somehow he's the most normal person in this room. I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> Um, so instead you were, uh, you just to try to find something, Charles, you were walking through like your daily routine and, yeah. and I stopped you halfway and I said, okay, this yeah, is what we yeah, need to actually yeah. hear. I, I think, I think the problem is this. I'm weird in big ways, not in little ways. Okay. Keep going. I think, I think that's what this is about. You're talking about ticks. You're okay. talking about little, little things that you do, right? I mean, you yeah. mentioned about putting on yeah. so- one sock and then one shoe and then the other sock, the other the shoe. The only way how which, to do which it. Which is absolutely weird. Everybody knows that. Whatever. Uh, you know, I don't even have shoes in my bedroom. How do you, how do you even do that, right? So, so, but I'm thinking, okay, no, but I think I'm weird in the bigger things. Okay. Right? Like how I spend my time and how I, what I, what I think about and what I want to spend my time doing. So I think, I think maybe I'm odd in those ways. So let's walk through a day. Okay, walk through a day. Okay. So, day in yeah. the life of you. Let's talk about you, Charles. You. <laughs> Yikes. All right. So yeah, this is the kind of this is the part of the podcast I normally skip. All right. Get get to the content. Get to the content. <laughs> and All this right. is what I replay. We this is the live meat for, for this. Me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine. Let's do it. Okay, so um, so I get up. Okay, so my my alarm is set to um, uh, Taylor Swift. Um, come back, be here. That's, that's specifically that specifically song. Specifically that song. Well, you can set it, right? So my iPhone sets that song, so that's that, that wakes it wakes me that wakes me up. Yep. Um, I get up and I usually do Wordle in bed. Wordle in bed, great. In bed. I scroll Insta, so okay. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. We don't need to talk about how unhealthy that is. Keep going. Yeah, I'm like that's something about you. Okay. I read my Bible. I got you both. Wow. You really? <laughs> yeah, I do. Oh my gosh, that's, that's awesome. the first thing I do. Wow. wow. Hey, Charles, good. Nice, nice move, Veronica. Power <laughs> move right there. Uh, so I, um, I, you know, okay. Do I need to talk? Can I talk about restroom stuff? Do I? Can I? We, you can, but I can. just keep it. You keep know, it, keep, keep it PG. PG. Keep it PG. Go to the restroom. Yeah. You know, weigh myself. Go downstairs. You got a cup of coffee. 
and go to my computer. Okay. And that's, that's how it starts. I, I work. I do my New York Times crossword puzzle. That's kind of how I start my day. Wait, do you eat breakfast? Actually, I don't. I do intermittent fasting. Oh, oh okay. cool. So I don't eat until like 10, 30, 11 o'clock in the morning. Cool. Okay. So I just kind of work. I start working. I, um, I go through my email. Uh, and then I, um, I start writing. I start reading. Mm. So that's kind of the stuff I do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then that goes till lunch. And I wow. eat lunch, heat it up from microwave. And so then, weird. Yeah, see? See, this. the most normal person I in know. the room. And then Seriously? I do some more work, and then I go down to my basement and exercise. What, what are some of the exercises that you uh, so do? So there's a variety. I, okay. I can do a, a stationary bike. I, I, wa- I watch YouTube videos, exercise videos, okay. um, and then we do some of those, like half an hour. I do VR boxing. So okay. I put on my it's virtual my, reality and, I, and, I, and I box. Uh, who do so, you who do you have who do you box when you're in VR? Do you get to choose the person you're? You is it do, Matt yeah. Metzger? <laughs> so you're not allowed to put avatars on them oh. because they come with existing mm. avatars, okay. and you're fighting a different scale, different level. Oh. And so, and then what I do is I I put on a little vest, okay. that and I put like belts and straps on on the vest with my with my wristband, so okay. it increases resistance when I oh, put. Okay. Wow. So yeah, to kind of get kind of get a good workout out of it. So yeah, I do twenty that minutes. Actually sounds it's awesome. It's an amazing <laughs> workout, actually. Wow. So, and then yeah, and then should, yeah, we, start, there was should a, we yeah what should we start a new ministry here? Yeah, um, I thought like, there was a joke there, but I just want to do it now. <laughs> you you want to come on over? I'll, sh- I'll, I'll 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 try it out. Game on. We yeah. can box each other VR. Well, not, we'll not be yet. in the same the, room, not facing each other, boxing each other. You, no, okay. so, so that, that, that software hasn't come out in multi, multiplayer yet, but it's coming on the next new re- next release. All right. So the multiplayer, you need to get your own VR um, uh, headset, and then we'll go. Done. When I get a raise, I'm doing it. Sounds great. <laughs> well, okay. As much as I want to keep going on this conversation, again, <laughs> this don't. is the meat for me. Charles, you are the most normal person in this room. Again, Yay. I don't understand it. Um, but that's okay. But we would love to just kind of hop into this episode and, uh, yeah, the conversation that we want to go, uh, to have. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, thank you, first of all, for all of you that emailed in some questions. We were really glad, um, to be able to start with those. So we're going to dive in. Um, a, a lot of these questions are like came from people in our church and on the personal side. So we're going to keep them all anonymous. So just a, just a heads up for everyone there. So the first question we were thinking about, uh, someone asked, how should we think about using the term deconstruction? And we know Chris mentioned this briefly in his open ser- opening sermon, um, but there are some thought leaders that argue about against using this term. So can you give us a little background on that argument, Charles, and then share why we as a church chose to still use that term in our series? Right. Um, so uh, those of you who are, who are in, in academia, and especially maybe in, in more um, probably literary um, departments, you, you know deconstruction, and you use it in a very different way. Um, I think it comes out of the work of Derrida, uh, Foucault, um, postmodernity. The idea um, behind this term is that communication, a, 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 langu- a piece of writing, um, when it's divorced from the speaker, really has its... You really can do anything you want with it. If, mm-hmm. if you're the reader, you can go, I can, I can destabilize it. I can mm-hmm. find ways to show inherent contradiction within this piece of communication. Mm-hmm. And so that is what, call, what Derrida called deconstruction. I can, t- I can show that n- really nothing makes sense. All communication is inherently, the meanings are unstable, and, and nothing really works. Uh, he's raging against what he calls logocentrism. You know, and then there's this amazing uh, article he wrote called uh, Limited 123, where, where Derrida, instead of reading an article 
uh, from from the top, he read it from the very bottom. Where it says co- she started with copyright, and he started reading from the bottom up, which mm. was kind of a fascinating way to read things. Um, that's kind of how it's used in, in, the, in, the, in the academic academic world. If you go into a literary department, you can write a paper on deconstruction. Say, hey, I read this piece of, piece of article, this argument, and I can show that's inherently contradictory. Great. Um, but here's the problem. When the, wor- when the word deconstruction left the academic world, um, you can't control what the meaning is anymore. So this is kind of something ironic about this, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. You mean deconstruction in a certain way, it goes out, and it's a word that's begging to be misunderstood. Mm. Yeah. People who don't have the academic background, they, they hear the word deconstruction, they go, oh, to deconstruct means to take something apart. And so that's what's happened in our, in our popular world, especially among popular Christianity. Within the Christian world, people have latched onto the word deconstruction to mean taking apart their faith. Now, why do we use that word? because that's the word people use, mm. right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're talking to people who are deconstructing their faith, and they're calling it that. And as Christ followers, look, as a church, we are communicating with people right where they're at. So in, in linguistics, we say language is usage. Words start off having certain meanings, and other meanings develop. That's normal. By the way, you know, people want to get, get stuck on, well, you must use it in the original meaning. I don't know if you know, um, the word nice comes from s- stupid. Mm. That's what? what it used to mean. Yeah. So words, meanings of words change. Wow. Mm. It's always changed as, and will continue to change. And so f- standing in front of the path of history and shouting against it is not going to stop. Mm. So um, we don't fight it. We go, okay, this is how it's being used today. Let's use it. Mm. Good. Great. That's a great answer. Yeah. Uh, I am curious. Are you up on your like uh, slang terms? Like. <laughs> Are there terms that your girls I, use that I, you don't know? I, um, I have no idea with how much how how up they are on slang. I recently found on that OED uh, Oxford English Dictionary uh, accepted Riz. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I learned that you word. That Riz. I, oh, that, I learned I learned Riz. That was pretty good. Um, and I try to pick up as much as I possibly can. Like yeah. if I said right now, man, Charles, your fit is lit. What would you say? My what is lit? Your fit is lit. <laughs> My fit is lit? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it means you're, what you're wearing looks really good. Really? Yeah. Like F-I-T? It's L-I-T? Fit is wow. lit. Wow. Okay, well, thanks, Michael. I appreciate that. Of course, that was entirely hypothetical, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, it's pretty good. Yeah. You're comfortable. Okay. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. You look... Comfortable. <laughs> this should be good. our next podcast series. You look good. Anyways, okay. back to back to the That's agenda good. here. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, okay. Thank you for that background. Uh, so now we've established we're using the word deconstruction. Uh, and the next question is: Has there been a rise in deconstruction in recent years? And if so, why? This is a two-part question. Well, three-part question, really. And then, do you think a lack of spiritual formation or discipleship plays a role in that? Mm. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, look, it's it's difficult. I, I think there has been a rise of deconstruction in recent years. I think that's well documented. Uh, sociologists talks about this. You can you can see it in all the major surveys. Um, tabulating why is challenging. I think it's a, obviously has multiple causes. Uh, a lack of spiritual formation, discipleship plays a role. Yes, I'm sure it does. Uh, the increasing lack of biblical literacy. The kind of the kind of the um, a lot of the things that the church used to do well. Um, and we're not doing it as well. That's definitely part of it. But I would say one of the biggest <clears throat> um, causes or, or factor in the rise of deconstruction relates to how Christian values are becoming increasingly out of step with popular culture. Hmm. I mean, if you look at 
you know, America in, you know, say 50 years ago. Most Americans, greater than 50%, were Christians. And um, being Christian was considered a good thing. Uh, being a pastor, you know, a pastor, trusted figure. People say, oh, you're Christian. Oh, he's that person's very Christian. That's a very positive. It's a social good. So people want to become Christians. And Christian values and, and our popular cultural values were kind of in sync. But that, as the decades wore on, became less and less so. And what happens is now you have, for a while it became, oh, you're a Christian. That's neutral. And now I think we're at a place in the last 10, 15 years where being identified as a Christian, especially as an evangelical Christian, is now a definitive negative, especially where we live in Madison, Dane County. If, if your friends find out you're an evangelical Christian, you go to a church like Blackhawk Church, they will look at you and go, what's wrong with you? Do you hate this? Do you hate that? Do you, do you oppose this? And they will, have, they will have all kinds of questions for you. And so as we live in that kind of a social milieu, we're going to start asking questions. Mm. And that's really the beginning of deconstruction. It's like, wow, I, I can't believe or my church believes this when everybody around me believes that. Mm. And um, even if I'm not just immediately throwing away my faith away, I have all kinds of questions I need to ask. And that's, that's a big part. Wow. Um, sorry, this, maybe you don't have the answer to this. This was not a planned question. But do you think, well, we've been talking mainly about deconstruction of the Christian faith, but um, do you think there's been a rise in um, deconstruction of other religions or faith traditions as well in That's recent years? That's a good years? question. Sorry, I, I just I, threw that out I there. Actually, <laughs> I actually have no idea. Huh. I, I actually have no idea whether, whether that is happening or not. I, I do know that if you look at the sociolo sociological, sociological studies and surveys, uh, the rise of the nuns and not, not, yeah. NU, not NUN. Mm -hmm. uh, not yep. the rise of the nuns, but no, that'd be a good no, movie. Yeah, the rise of the nuns, the nuns right? Rising. Yeah, some kind of a post-apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah okay. I'd watch it. <laughs> so, rise of the nuns, the, the none of the above. Yeah. When people say, "What what faith are you? You're Christian, you're Protestant, you're Catholic, you're Buddhist, you're you're you're, you're Jewish, you know, you're, you're you're Muslim." The rise of the nuns are rising. Mm -hmm. They're getting higher and higher. And so, so it is possible that um, we are in a situation where there is a decreasing trust and decreasing reliance on organized religion mm -hmm. happening in our country. Yeah. And so that could be a thing that's going on. But I I I did not study that. Yeah. That's a good question, yeah. and thanks for that answer. Here's another question that uh, one of our listeners emailed in, how much of the deconstruction can be attributed to politics? Mm, yeah, I, I, think, um, I think this is a subset of the previous answer I gave, which relates to how our political, how our Christian values are becoming dissociated from cultural values. Um, the, the challenging thing is this, right? Uh, as, as Christians, we are always trying to um, really seek the common good of our country. And we want Christian values to, for example, justice, right? We, we care about justice. The Bible cares about justice. So we will want that to show up in our politics. Uh, we, we care about people made in the image of God. So we care about life. And so we, we, we want that to be showing up in our politics. Um, the problem is that as we become more engaged politically, I would say from the, starting from the 80s and, and the rise of, rise of moral majority, all the way through the 90s to the 2000s onward, as Christians, especially evangelical Christians, have become engaged in politics, there is a problem. We want to use the political process to reveal God and, you know, reveal Christian values. But as we do that, we become co-opted. And we become partisan, and we become tied up to one political party. 
And when we do that, when we become overtly identified with a political party, people stop seeing us as being religious. They stop seeing us as Christian. They, stop, they start seeing us as political partisans. In fact, there's actually uh, evidence, sociological evidence, that that has happened. Um, you can, and there's a great article just a few, a few weeks back from the New York Times, talking about when they're surveying people who self-identify as evangelicals, they're finding that people rarely go to church. Mm. They are self-identifying as evangelicals as a political movement. Wow. So evangelicalism in, in America, I think, is now becoming very closely tied to a political party. And so the, so the people were like, well, yeah, we don't want to be partisan with one party or the other. We're like, okay, now what do we do? Right? And so I can easily imagine a, per, a, a, a young person going, okay, I go to church, and, and the people around me are all saying, hey, we need to be politically tied to this one party, and I'm like, I'm on the other party. Mm. Well, that's going to cause you to deconstruct your faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you're not aligned with people in your church. And this is the other problem in our society is that we have become so polarized politically. Are the, that's really the new tribe. I mean, uh, the, the trends are already present, right? Um, Christians we used to separate on denomination. We used to divide based on worship style, um, theology, style of preaching. Today, increasingly, Christians are dividing um, based on politics. We are forming into blue churches and red churches. Mm. And when people see that, right, I think you have a, any Christ follower who see that, sees that process, they go, this doesn't look real to me. This looks partisan. This looks political. This looks very human. This doesn't look, doesn't look like God at all. And so that would be a cause for, for deconstruction. What, I mean, just a follow-up question with that, what do you think one of the reasons why this is, is occurring? Like, what's, what's one of the causes behind this? Power? I don't know. Oh, I, I would say our, our <laughs> this is where, I mean, I, I, ca- description of what's happening is easy. Causation is hard, right? Yeah, fair. I mean, I mean we have yeah. polarization. We know it very clearly. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always the one who says, okay, what's the big change? The big change is technology. Mm. Technology has made polarization so much easier. Yeah. I, you mm. can connect with people who agree with you specifically. Yeah. And so our world is being pulled apart into smaller and smaller groups based on technology. Mm. And that process, um, we, the church, have not done a good job mm. counteracting. When we look at... In technology, we just use it. We think technology is neutral. Technology is not neutral. Wow. It does things. There's positive things and there's negative things. Mm. And that's a real danger for us. We didn't see this. I think a lot of Christian leaders were caught, you know. Unaware. Off unaware. Guard. Completely off, off guard. guard. Sorry. Veronica is trying to save me from using a really bad metaphor. I, yes, I know. I, I saw was. your eyes. I, like, I shouldn't I saw, say that. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you did gosh, a good uh-oh. job pausing. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so thank you, Veronica. We're caught, we were caught unaware. We were caught unaware yeah. how powerful political division has, be, has become yeah. in, our, in, in our congregation. We, we were surprised by the vehemence of political sentiments in our congregation. We're like, wait, we know these people. These are our people. We've known them for decades. What is going on here? And this is not just a story of Blackhawk. This story is being repeated in churches after churches after churches. Strong political polarization and churches, and maybe we, getting back to to lack of spiritual formation discipleship, we did not do a good job teaching our people to resist political polarization. We didn't see it. We didn't see it as a danger. And in retrospect, wow. A discipline that I, I'm just going to insert this comment because I was thinking about it and a discipline that I've been intentionally trying to do because of this has been, okay, who are people that might fundamentally think 
differently than I do, perhaps ideologically or politically. And I actually want to become their friend, not in a way where I'm trying to co-opt or trying to, you know, reconvince or something, but I want to get to know people who are different and I want to break bread and become friends and not even, I mean, maybe we talk about our differences, which could be healthy, or maybe we just exist and love each other together. I think that's been really helpful for me and it's challenged a lot of like really like maybe strong beliefs that I have to be like, okay, there's someone who believes differently than me. Mm -hmm. And I think they're great people. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we break down some walls? Yes. And and I think that's a dream here. That's a value here at Block Up. We want, we, we want to be a place where Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, progressives, communists, if we have any here, we want them all here. Yeah. And, and we want them to, we want all of us to know each other and love each other, not by pretending we agree on, we agree on everything. And yeah. one, one of the, the standards that I've strived to, to uphold for myself is when I, when I hear somebody I disagree with, I want to be able to repeat their arguments back to them in a way, in a shape that they will accept as their own. That's great. That's my standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understood your argument and restate it in a way that you go, yep, that's it. That's my act of love. That's how we love people who disagree with us. Mm-hmm. When we can do that, in fact, sometimes I would go, you know what, here's an argument that's even better. If you can help them make their argument better, mm-hmm. you understood their argument. They're going to go, this person really cares about me. Mm-hmm. They cared enough to listen. And your motivation, I'm assuming, is not to then share what you think that can contradict, but just to say like, oh my goodness, this is what you believe and and that's great. I value well, we, that. We can, I value we can, you. We can have a dialogue because I, cause, cause then I know where they're coming from, mm-hmm. right? The problem with us is that when we don't understand the, the other side's argument, what's happening is we're assuming the worst. Yeah. Mm. We're always assuming horrific motivations. Yep. We ascribe to the other side. People who disagree with me are evil. Yeah. That's what's happening in our political world. And that assumption has moved into the church. And that is utterly unchristian. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to say that. That's yep. of the devil yep. yeah. to that think that way. That's mm-hmm. evil. And we can't do that here. So as Christ followers, we need to model how we disagree differently. Mm. Love, not just surface courtesy, but I'm going to understand your argument. And if you want to understand mine, I'll share with you. But let's make sure we understand each other fully. We dig in deep. We can have conversation. And by the way, this this disagreement does not change our relationship. Yep. We need to get to be that place. Because yep. when, when you can, a church can do that, oh my gosh. Yeah, well, yeah. That's different from the world. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. countercultural. Mm-hmm. Right? The world is not going there at all. In fact, it's not even considered a virtue. Well, right? Yeah. Today, nobody yeah. thinks that's a good thing. No. Yeah, that's true. Right? It's no longer a virtue in our world. And they're like, okay, we're going to do it, whether you guys think it's a good thing or not. That's really good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, while we're talking about things that are different from culture, being different from culture, there are different biblical interpretations that develop as culture develops, um, like slavery, women in leadership. Um, If there are current cultural contradictions with the Bible, how can we know that ultimately our current biblical interpretation will stand and not develop with culture, like with a traditional biblical sexual interpretation? Right. It's a very good question. Um, (laughs) Look. It, it, is chal- it, it is very interesting to look back in history to see how we, we've had 2,000 years of church history, mm. right? We've had 2,000 years of biblical interpretation, and they've written it down, so we can actually see it. And some of the stuff they write, we're going, 
oh, wow, that was really, really influenced by culture, mm-hmm. right? Because histori- historians are going to go, wow, that, the way you approached it is, is, is heavily, heavily influenced by your cultural assumptions, but you don't see it because it's really hard to see your own blind spots. This is like the, one of the realities of our world. Like we don't see the assumptions that we make. Um, and then when we, so, so because we can do that and look, look backwards in time and see that in history, we have to know that about ourselves, that we have all kinds of things that we're not seeing, all kinds of ways in which we've read the Bible through our current, like, current cultural lens. There's no getting around it. And, you know, I always, I, I, people are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Look, I always ask them, hey, Bible doesn't believe in democracy. Do you know that? Mm. Not for free market. It's not capitalism. Right? It, doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't support the nuclear family. It's like all the things that we assume, just kind of, kind of what the Bible is about, it's not there. It's like, yeah. oh, whoa, wait a minute. What is going on here? Uh, so there's a lot of humility to start with, a lot of awareness. But this is, not an, this is also not a formula for the Bible can be read any way you want. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we find that kind of that, how do we find, navigate that tension, right? Um, one of the things I do is I, I look at the changing sexual ethics in our country, in our culture. And people are going to go, oh, no, look at these Christians. They're going to go with culture now. They're, 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 they're following culture. I look at changing cultural eth- uh, mores in our country, and I say, hey, what we need to do is use this as an opportunity to examine our assumptions. It's a great, great opportunity. I can actually see my blind spot now. I want to see, hey, how much have we been following culture up till now? I mean, look, look at the example of, 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 of patriarchy, for example. Mm. Um, most of human society has been patriarchal. Um, not surprisingly, people read the Bible in very patriarchal ways. We can actually see it even as far back as like 200 years ago. Um, theologians writing about women and men, they're like, wow, they're just saying these things. things like today, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they wrote that. And these are Christians. As our, our society becomes increasingly egalitarian and valuing women, we go back and we look at the Bible and we go, oh, we can strip away some of our blind spots and see more clearly. And we go, oh, wow, the Bible has always been counterculture. The Bible has been fighting patriarchy from the beginning. And so we can see those kind of tensions and recognize. Now, does that remove all of our blind spots? No, they don't. But we are, we're always look, looking to get better. So, yeah, this is, but. You know, so that's, that's one part of the answer. Yeah. I think, I think another part is um, when we do make that examination, we might arrive at a place and we say, yeah, no, the cultural move is really wrong. Mm-hmm. And we need, to, we need to just stand and be countercultural on this point. But at least we'll know it better and we'll know why. Because mm-hmm. we've asked the question. Yeah. And we re- re-examined it. And that's, I think that's an important way to respond to cultural changes in our, in our, in our, in our society. Yeah. Thanks. That's great. Okay. So the next one um, was also from a listener. And this one has a little bit of context, so just bear with me here. So she says, uh, I personally know someone who has deconstructed and never reconstructed due to their disbelief in miracles. This is especially true for the rising of Jesus from the dead. They don't understand how that could happen. I've tried to walk with this individual through this season, but I don't know how to respond to this type of deconstruction situation. How do you help reconstruct when someone doesn't believe in miracles or unexplainable occurrences? Do you have any additional resources that would be helpful? Yeah, that's a a great question. Um, 
this this is one of those uh, uh, challenging situations. I would start with by making sure you un you understand exactly why they don't they don't believe in miracles. It's hard for me to to answer this question without knowing that having that person in front of me. Because what I would do, be doing is I would spend the first you know half an hour to forty five minutes just listening. Oh, you think this? Oh, why do you think that? I just it just be asking all kinds of questions. Why don't they believe in the possibility of miracles? Now, if they're if they're, this is where I'm, you know, making some assumptions here. If their reason is, oh, hey, we, I, I just like, I think science proven it. Science has proven that that miracles can't happen. If they say something like that, well, this is where you, you point to some many scientists who have said, who, who will tell you that, yeah, no, that doesn't work. Science doesn't, science doesn't work that way, right? Science can't prove miracles don't happen. Why is that? Because, because the idea of miracle is a, is, a, is 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 an exception to some natural law. And science assumed that everything, everywhere, at all times, uh, follow these laws. Can they prove that? Absolutely not. They cannot prove that everything, everywhere, at all times, follow physical laws. It's an assumption that science makes. It's, it's an act of faith, which is great. I think it's an act of faith. It's a, it's a kind of a basis to, to, to believing that science actually can work and make predictions about things, which is great. Um, but the idea that just because we can see things following the law now, it will always be that way, uh, not so much. And so I would go with, hey, your, your friend, you are taking a leap of faith there. And my Christian belief says that we have a God who actually made these laws. He established the physical laws of nature, and he really supports them and reinforces them. But if there is one person in this world who can actually make an exception, that would be the creator God of the universe. Mm -hmm. And if this God wanted to communicate with humans and wants to do that by coming into the world as a human being, to get to know us, and then to die for us on the cross. How would he validate that he is God? Entirely logical and natural that this God would do something that goes completely against natural laws. He would do it via the resurrection. So, this is kind of the problem we're running into, right? If you don't believe those things can exist, you're, you're taking an act of faith, which is fine. You can, you can have that belief, but I would challenge you this to question whether that act of faith, believing that everything fits natural laws, is that a logical belief or not? And whether the belief in a God who might contradict that belief on special occasions is really all that irrational. Hmm. I love that. I love, I'm learning as you're talking, Charles. And I think one thing that um, was helpful for me uh, is the reality that God himself created. I mean, if we're looking at the Christian worldview, he created natural law. And so, of course, he's going to follow natural law. I mean, he, it's his creation. It's, he came up with it. But then that doesn't mean that he can't manipulate it or he can't do something supernatural to what he's the foundation that he's established. Yeah. And I love that. That's good. Okay, we have we have a couple more questions. Um, now let's kind of shift gears in a new direction. Um, this is a question um, that someone had. How would you personally respond to someone who experienced church hurt 
that has led them to fully deconstruct their faith? Oh my goodness. I know it's an open-ended, perhaps subjective yeah. question. You don't know what type yeah. of church hurt, but I think yeah. a lot of people can relate to this in some way Oh my goodness, yeah. This is, okay, look. This is where, you know, the, the last thing anybody wants to do, the last thing I want to do is come up here and say, and defend the church, because the church has done some horrific things. And I think we, we I mean, Michael, you did that sermon about, yeah. you know, loving Jesus and having problem with, with, with the Christ followers. He's like, yeah, spot on. Yeah. Um, you know, my personal story, my dad um, became a deacon at the church, and um, oh my gosh, he, he, he uh, found out what's going on financially behind the scenes. Mm. Never got involved with church again. I mean, he went to church. He didn't lose his faith. He didn't walk away from his faith. But I think today he would have deconstructed. Back then, he just kind of like, I'm not going anywhere near anything the church does. Mm. Mm. And I, I think that's, that's a mild case. Yeah. And, and, and that's a mild case of, in terms of financial mismanagement. Um, there's been cases of abuse. There's been cases of power abuse. There's been cases of, of shaming and ostracizing. It's just, it's deeply, deeply frustrating mm-hmm. that God's people are this messed up. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, your talk is really great because you know, it's like we're not we're, we're not a team, right? We're a family, right? The yeah. team you yeah. can kick people out. Yeah. Family you can't. No. Um, I I look at the work of I I I look at the Holy Spirit, who's our coach, who's whose whose job is to to transform us. And I look at his job, I'm going, you have a tough tough job. Yeah. Because yeah. the people you bring in, oh my gosh, you, you you don't get the first round draft picks. I don't know why, but it's just like people come in, we bring in all the problems we have, and and then some people get powerful in the church and yeah. they start using that power in horrific ways. Yeah. So people who have experienced church hurt, I would acknowledge it and affirm it, and I would um, grieve, grieve with them. Mm. I would lament with them. Right? This, they, they, if they're fresh out of that, that's what they need. Yeah. They don't need, you got to go back to church. That's what, not what they nope. need. No, no, no. They need some space, right? They need some space. It, once they have some space, one of the things that we talk about is, hey, your relationship with God and your relationship with the church, okay, God ultimately wants you to be part of a church, but let's get a place where you can be okay with God first. Mm. Uh, we have people who are, who are listening to our, po- to our, to our um, not our podcast, but actually our, our services, who, yeah. watch, who watch online, listen to podcasts, watch yeah. online. They're not going to any church at all. I've actually heard from some of them. Yeah who have been experienced with church hurt, and they've been doing this for a number of years now. And I'm like, awesome. Take the time you need to heal. Mm. It really does. You need a space. Time is just those amazing things to you. And you, you need to maintain a relationship with God. Like, okay, I'm okay with God. I can have some keeps on relationship. I need to be a place where I'm not being injured. I'm not being abused. I'm not being, I'm, I'm not just not being throttled. Like you, that does not work. Is there a chance to come back? Maybe. Mm. That's 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 the work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um. And and I would say if you have somebody who has experienced church hurt and they're like walking away from everything, um. Right. Give them time. Mm. Give them time. This is the what I believe. What I believe is when you become a Christ follower. Um. What what Paul describes is that that moment you died with Jesus on the cross. You, you are dead to this world, and you are now incorporated into Jesus. Jesus is kind of the space you can jump into, which is interesting. And then when you resurrected, you resurrected with him. So if you've actually had a, 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 a genuine faith with Jesus, you're now in Christ. And there's no way to leave that. Mm. 
But biblically, there's no way to leave mm -hmm. because you're inside Christ. Mm -hmm. to, for, for you have to die again to get out. And there's no way to do that. There's no way to leave. Which means if you have given, if you have put your faith in Jesus at one point in your life, you have given God carte blanche to send the Holy Spirit after you. Mm -hmm. And I, I firmly believe that too. Mm. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but it could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be 20 years. God is going to be coming after you in your life. Yeah. Because mm. God loves you and he sees you as his son and daughter. He's not going to give up on you. Mm. So uh, I would not put too much pressure on the person, but also, but I would pray, pray for God to move. Mm. Yeah. So the next question is, how would you respond to people who have deconstructed their faith over particular ideologies that seem, seem to disagree with the Bible? Such as saying that someone is living a lifestyle of sin if they don't adhere to the traditional biblical sexual ethic because it goes against Jesus's popular teaching on loving your neighbor. Okay. Good question. What, what I'm hearing, the question I'm hearing is this, right? It seems to be like, hey, um, there's, there's people who believe that uh, there's a particular Bible sexual ethics and they see people living and they go, okay, that's a the people who are not following that particular sexual ethics, and they're saying that's a style, lifestyle of sin. And then we look at that, we go, but wait a minute, th that's going against what Jesus says about loving your neighbor. Yeah. So that seems like a conflict, and because of that, people start to deconstruct their faith. They feel like uh, the church's kind of harsh stance on sexual ethics conflicts with loving our neighbors. Yeah. It's a good question. So, so I think the question makes certain assumptions, and I'm going to try to tease them out. This is actually a big question. Yeah, it's a big question. Yeah. It's a big question. It's so, a good it's question. A, it's a good we question. Gave, it's a we gave question. you all our big questions. I know, I know, I know. Okay, uh, let's let's guess. Let's guess specific. Okay. So, let's. I'll, I'll use an example that's kind of commonly understood by Christians to go, yeah, that does not cohere with biblical sexual ethics. So let's say somebody is like, okay, he's cheating on his on his spouse. Okay, this man cheating on his spouse. We're like, we're like, yeah, that's not what the Bible says should, should be happening. Okay, that's goes in biblical sexual ethics. The first question you should be asking is, is it is this person a Christ follower? And that that really is the first question. Because if they're not, then why are we expecting them to live in accordance to biblical sexual ethics? Now, I'm sure their spouse would appreciate it if they didn't, but I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe they're in an open relationship. Maybe they have an open marriage. Maybe it's, it's all, it's all you know, ship-shape. It's all good. It's entirely ethical by our cultural standards. If that's what's going on, then maybe nobody's being upset. Nobody's being hurt. And we're like, but, but that just seems wrong because it goes, it goes to biblical sexual ethics. We would take a step back and, so, and say, they're not Christ followers. They're not trying to image God with their, they're not trying to honor God with their sexual behavior. So why are we even talking about this? So that was my first point, okay? People who are not part of the church, they're not Christ followers, there's no reason to evaluate them based on biblical sexual ethics. Okay? So that's just my first point. So, you, so the question then is, let's talk about within the church. Okay? We have somebody who's, 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 let's say, you know, um, We'll use the same example. We have a couple who's not in an open marriage, and they're part of the church, right? Um, what should the people in the church do in response to that, right? Um, should we 
um, call them out? Should we ostracize them? Well, recognizing that they're not following Jesus, they're not honoring God with their sexuality, does not entail attacking them. I think that's I think that's that's I think the problem. People think, oh, oh, we we because they're doing something wrong, we need to go after them. No, no, we don't need to do that. Right? That that seems that doesn't seem connected. I can say, hey, I don't think what you're doing uh, 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 honors God, but I can still be friends with you. Because there are things I'm doing that doesn't honor God, and so we can be friends. And in fact, I want you to tell me because I can I can see yours better than I can see myself. So within a church where people are all sin- sinners. Um, what we're doing is we're not going after people. But we, we must acknowledge the reality of sin. Acknowledging the reality of sin is not the same thing. It does not conflict with loving your neighbor. I think that's the fundamental false assumption. Hmm. People, okay, love means never calling, never acknowledging sin. No, that's not how love works. Right? That's not how love works. Um, we, when we love each other, we acknowledge things that have gone wrong. We actually say, hey, I'm a good friend of yours. What you're doing here, that's a problem. In fact, the closer I am with somebody, the more likely I am to say something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I have a friend who we talk, on, uh, talk to each other on the phone regularly, and we, I count on that friend to call me out. And he counts on me to call him out. So, Saying someone living a style of sin actually is built into loving your neighbor. The more you love that person, the more you will speak out. And I think the, the problem, I think, today is that many people start calling out people they don't know and they don't have a relationship. And that's just, mm. I, I think that's it. That, maybe that's where the mistake is coming from, the misunderstanding yeah. is coming from, right? Mm. It's like, I'm just calling out random people like, wait, wait, you don't even know them. You don't have a relationship with them. You don't love them. Why are you the one saying all these things about them or to them? Oh. Right? And I think like, having foundation of love is critical to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. That's good. Okay, we have one last question that, that someone asked, Charles. Um, this has been a great conversation so far. Um, okay, so here it is. This has more uh, to do with the um, exclusivity of kind of Jesus. It's like a branch. Okay. Um, so it's if Jesus is the only way, and if Jesus is all about love and inclusion, yeah. what would you say about different people groups who have never heard about Jesus and have died? Will they be in heaven or hell? This is a huge area of deconstruction that I've seen multiple people wrestle with, yeah. and it wasn't talked about in this series. Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, oh, so first of all, we couldn't talk about everything in this series. And second, Michael made the series. So there you go. You're the captain, right, Michael? <laughs> yeah. It's why, was, why wasn't yeah. that in the series, Michael? Yeah. <laughs> Come to my house. We'll do VR boxing and we'll talk it out. That's right. Punch well, maybe, maybe, maybe without the VR, right? Wow. Do I need no. to mediate here? Um, no. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no just, I'm not going to box them. Uh-huh. We're going to do a group activity where we're boxing other people. And then afterwards, we're going to just talk. That's, that's, that's a good idea. Good idea. That's a great question. And um, you may not like my answer. Um, here's, here's the thing. Um, the Bible isn't as clear on this as we would like. This is one of the things where, you're, you're all, where the Bible frequently doesn't answer our questions. Mm. And, and, and uh, in fact, free, free, the Bible almost never answers our questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just how it is, right? The Bible is written to accomplish its own purposes. 
It's not, it's not an answer book. Um, and if you, if you ask the right ones, you'll get an answer. If you ask the one that the Bible actually wants to answer. Um, but most of it, most of the questions we ask, the Bible is like, ah, no, I'm not interested. And this is, this is kind of one of them. Um, and, um, and so throughout church history, people have come up with different solutions. People have come up with different, different answers to this. Um, now, for example, um, one, one argument, I think the strictest one is this. The strictest one would say, okay, if you've never heard of Jesus, you're going to hell. This is, this is some of the, one of the, and, and you will find certain, pe- certain uh, uh, Christian traditions going for that. And they would say something like, well, yeah, I mean, this is why we, we do mission, mission work, why we do evangelism, because people didn't hear about Jesus. It's your fault. For, 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 they didn't, they're going to hell because of you. It's because you didn't go and tell your friends about this. Like, okay, like, whoa. Okay. And that's such a big thing to say, hell. It's like, oh, yikes. Yikes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm telling you, this, this is what they say, right? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This, this is one group. Now, um, other groups, um, Make the make the argument that well, actually, if you that that God is just and He wouldn't do that, and so before death, God will give every single person a chance to respond. That's a nice one. Uh, people feel better about that one. Nothing in the Bible about it, but okay, <laughs> right? Okay, that's like not terribly biblical, but it's like okay, it's it's nice and people feel good about it. Um, are you using nice as uh, as stupid yeah. there in no, the no, original no. sense? No, no. I, I, in the that's sense nice, that meaning that's bad. No, nice in the good sense. Like we all, we like that, right? We like the yeah. idea that God gives everybody a, ch- a chance. So, uh, a third option is that <clears throat> while everybody who is saved is saved through Christ, they don't necessarily need a relationship with Christ to be saved. The Bible tells us this, in fact. For example, does Abraham know Jesus? No. No. But yet, Abraham, we presume, will be in the kingdom of God in, heaven, in, in the future. So how does that even work? Well, the idea is that there are people, people God is capable of developing relationship with people. In fact, um, one of the, the most mysterious persons in the Old Testament um, that shows up in, in Genesis, uh-oh, 13, I think? Shoot. Check me. <laughs> I'll check. I know who you're talking about. Melchizedek. Yep, I know. Right. Melchizedek. Melchizedek was known as the priest of Salem. He's a priest. Abraham goes, he's also, he's a priest of the God Most High, right? El Elyon. Genesis 14. 14. I'm off by a chapter. That's you're close. Man, I'm, I'm well, I don't know if right I can now. listen to you anymore. Self-flagellation happening right now, but sorry. Um, El Elyon, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a priest of God Most High. And Abraham goes there and he offers him a tithe. Abraham recognizes that Melchizedek knows God. But Melchizedek isn't through the Abrahamic covenant at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a different line. It's outside of the Abrahamic covenant, outside the Davidic line, the Jesus line. It's like some, something entirely different. And so, and so you know, which is why the, the author of Hebrew actually says, Jesus is actually in the line of Melchizedek. Because he's, you know, mm. he's he's both he's both king and well, I won't get to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That gets complicated. <laughs> but that's good, though. But the, good. but the idea is that you have a guy that God has developed a relationship with, mm-hmm. and then you start thinking, wait a minute, can God develop relationships with people independently of Jesus, independently of the church? Well, why not? He's done it before. He's done it in the Bible. So why is that? Why is that necessary? And so. 
And this is where I'm, you know, like the moment you start you start going like this, you start I, I start hearing about stories. For example, um, we um, you know, we when I when I was working here at Blackhawk <clears throat> as a Blackhawk Chinese pastor, we worked with a lot of Chinese um, visiting scholars. And and I remember this one 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 woman. She the story she tells fascinating. She says she's always had an experience of God growing up. Because why not? Right? She has experience of God growing up. She always believed in God. And she has this relationship. She prays to this God and talks back. And, and, and then she comes to America and they brought her to a Lutheran church. And as they're praying, as they're preaching, she starts crying. And they're saying, what are you, what, she says, and they're like, what are you doing? She says, are you okay? She goes, yeah, yeah, I want to be a Christian. They're like, wait, wait, you, you literally heard the sermon for the very first time. How can you? It's like, wow, this, this pastor is really good, right? And then she's like, no, 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 you don't understand. That voice that I've known all my life says, Jesus they're talking about, that's me. Wow, that's powerful. That's a powerful story. And then I'm kind of, I, I hear this, I'm going, okay, I'm a little like, you know, because I, I, I can be skeptical. <laughs> but the idea that God can initiate relationship with people who have never heard of Jesus, but they're saved through Jesus. That to me isn't a problem. Biblically, we have that already. Mm -hmm. And the idea that God would do that, that God gives everybody a chance throughout life to get to know him. Now, the question is, why do you need Jesus? Why do you need the church? Because it's so much better through Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's so much better to actually experience the fullness of what God is teaching rather than the kind of this hazy sense of, wait, I think I know this God. I'm not exactly sure how much I know this God. Yeah. Right? Versus having a, a body of Christ, having the church, having the Bible, having, having, having all of this together. So much better. So, so, I, so that's kind of where I am. Mm. I don't think that you have to have heard of Jesus to be saved. But I understand that there is a, a wide range of options out there within different church traditions. Um, you know, I think there's one more that I probably should mention, which I think is universalism. Uh, everybody is saved. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's biblical. I think the Bible seems pretty clear that that's not the case. So, but I'll put that out there as one of the options. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Charles. Oh, we pleasure. really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. We threw you, threw you some hard questions. We didn't realize that the hardest one would be, what are the weird things about you? <laughs> yeah. Didn't know. <laughs> didn't know. Sorry. Still I don't know how I'm weirder than you are, but that's okay. You're pretty weird, Michael. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's, that's very true. true. Yes. That's very true. <laughs> well, everyone, that's it for the season of the Next Steps podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here. Michael, thank you for co-hosting yeah. with me. It's been great. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as uh, we have enjoyed having these conversations. And uh, stay tuned for whatever next series is next. Yeah, it's been great, everyone. Stay safe. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm.